guys, today I'm going to read chapter 11 of the Shakespeare Stealing, so here I go. Though I had been transported by, by the magic of these players, I had no thought in the world that I could become one of them. I thought only of doing what I had been hired to do. I meant to retrieve my table book, or failing that, to seek an opportunity to transcribe the play again. Better yet, I might manage to make off with theater's copy, saving myself a good deal of toil and trouble. Now, Mr. Ah! Hemingis said, who would like to be responsible for this boy? Mr. Pope clapped a heavy hand on my shoulder. I suppose I can make room for one more. He is not very large. You don't eat much, do you, lad? I hardly can, sir. I've never had a chance to find out. This said in all seriousness earned me a laugh from the players. I had been laughed I had been laughed at me for being a fool, but never for being witty. I found it pleased me. Well answered, Mr. Pope said. Come then. Good wife Will Willingson will be waiting supper for us. As he he ensured me through the door, he called over his shoulder, Sander, coming a voice from from a far side of the room replied. As we we passed behind the stage, I glanced furtively about for the incriminating table book. The boy Mr. Pope had called Sander caught up with us just outside the rear door. He was of an age with me, but nearly a head taller and as thin as a Bunbury cheese, which, said Mr. Pope, shake hands with Alexander Cox, known as familiarly, known familiarly as Sander. The, the, the boy pumped my hand as though he expected me to spout water. Welcome to the company, Ridge. It's a lot of work, but it's fun as well. Work? I thought. What could be so difficult about dressing up in fine clothing and saying witty and poetic things already written out for you? The rain had dwindled to a fine drizzle. What we in Yorkshire had called a cobweb day. We were soaked by the time we reached Mr. Pope's home, though it lay a mere five minutes walk from the globe. All the way there, I cast my eyes about the friendly, wondering if Faulkner would return to find me. 
Alexander, said Mr. Pope. See if you can hunt up a change of clothing for a witch. He looks as though he's been wrestling pigs. Sander led me upstairs to a small dormer room. The walls were papered with hundreds of war sides and ballad sheets, plus playbills for half a dozen theaters. While I looked them over, Sander rumored through the iron-bound chest and tossed me a short curtsy tunic and a pair of plain breeches. Try those. I've grown out of them. As we changed, I glanced at a, about the room. You had this all yourself until now. Oh, I'm sorry. He shrugged. I don't mind. It, it'll give me somebody to talk to and to study lines with. They, they let you perform in the plays? Sometimes. Not the one today. Usually I play a serving maid or so much. So you have no copy of Hamlet? Sander laughed. No one gets a copy of the whole play. But, but then how do you con your speeches? Learn the line, Timmy. Oh, you get a little sheet of paper we call a side with just your part on it. You'll see. But there has to be a copy of the whole play somewhere, I insisted. Of course, the bookkeeper keeps it under lock and key. People flitch them sometimes, you know. Do their own version. It, it hurts our box, then. Box? No. That's what money you make in, I said. Box. That's what money you make in. Make in, I said. Recalling Simon Bass's words. Right. But the worst of it is they don't give Mr. Shakespeare a farthing for it. And it is his work, after all. He gave me a new critical glance. At, this, at that looks well enough. A bit loose, but clean and dry at least. Let's go now, or we'll have Goody Willingson angry with us. She's the housekeeper. Does she beat you then? I asked softly as we descended the stairs. Sander laughed. Mistress Wingson? She can hardly bear to beat the carpet. And Mr. Pope, does he beat you? Sander turned to me with a puzzled look. Say, what sort of family are you used to? Family? I said. Mr. Pope was already at the table, along with half of the dozen young boys who, I later learned, were orphans Mr. Pope had taken in. The housekeeper showed no sign of expiration at our lateness. She merely filled plates and set them before us. The other boys were well behaved, except for staring, 
except for staring at me, the newcomer. I kept my attention on my plate and tried to ignore them. So, Mr. Pope said, You've run off from your master. I chopped down a piece of beef. I, he will, will he be content to let you go or will he come after you? I can't say. In truth, I was certain that should I really desert, Simon Bass would not let me go lightly. He was a man of business and I suspected he would not like losing the 10 pounds sterling he had invested in me. To such a man, I would not be a runaway apprentice, but an uncollected debt. And Faulkner would be a collector. Well, I can sympathize with you, said, Pope, said Mr. Pope. Mr. Pope was saying, I was apprenticed to a weaver myself before I heard the theater siren call. Most of the members of our company, in fact, were destined to be for some more respectable trade. Mr. Hammonians was to be a goldsmith. Mr. Shakespeare as a glover. He looked sternly about at the young child children. That is not to say that I condone apprentices running off wildly ninny, wildly ninny from their masters. You will be you will all be apprentices one day, and I expect each of you to work hard at learning your trade, just as I expect Wade here to work hard at becoming a player. He turned his gaze on me again. I gave what I hoped would pass for an eager look and turned my attention to my plate once more. How have I gotten myself into this? Until today, there had been but one set of demands upon me. Now two threats hung over me, like the buildings in that narrow, stinking alley. Sooner or later, they were sure to meet, and I, and I would be caught squarely in the middle up to my ears in the muck water, muck water. The bed I shared with Sander, with Sander was the softest I had known, and Sander neither tossed nor snored unduly. Yet I slept fit, fitfully. Once I even rose and began to dress, thinking that the most prudent course might be to run away, but I could not think of anywhere to run. I crept back into the bed and lay there, confronting troubled sorts of faces, sorts of faces that seemed possible only in the small hours until 19. 
Though it was not fully light, Sander and I dressed breakfast and set out for the globe. I glanced into each alley we passed, half expecting to spy a cloaked figure waiting to spring up. But of course, Falconer had no way of knowing where it was, and I didn't think we would haunt the vicinity of the theater. For some reason, he had seemed to reluctant to show himself there. Probably he feared that someone would guess his propose. One thing I was sure of, he was still in London somewhere and still determined to have the script. He thought the thought made me newly determined to have it as a shield against his wrath. Then he caught up with me, as he surely would. He were, we were far from the first arrivals at the playhouse. Men were busy rethatching the roof. Behind the stage, others were carrying pieces of scenery and furniture upstairs and carrying new ones down. Gone was any hope I had harbored, harbored of searching for my table book. Players stood or sat in odd corners, talking to themselves, making curious faces and sudden gestures for all the world like residents of a madhouse. A ready-faced young man gave an unexpected sweep of, of his arm, striking me on the side of my head. I backed away, ready to apologize for getting in the way. To my surprise, the man was the one to offer an apology. Sorry, didn't see you. He, he turned to Sander, waving his script. Mr. Johnson has kindly provided me with 30 new lines to, to learn before today's performance. I had difficulty enough recalling the old ones. Sander patted him on the shoulder. You'll learn them, Will. You always do. And if you don't, you'll make something up. In confidential voice, he added, something better, no doubt. The man named Will gave a grizzling smile. I suppose so. So, the performance is on for today. I thought it looked like rain again. You know how we are. They are. Will rolled his eyes upward as though referring to the gods. But I presumed he meant the men who held shares in the company. We'll go on unless the stage is underwater, and even then, he'd likely haul our boats and the Spanish Armada. Sandra laughed. They'll be wanting the stage cleared, then. I'll tell you what, I'll learn your lines for you if you'll clear the stage for me. Will waved him away. Sander picked up two brooms and handed one to me. I glanced back at Will, who was mumbling and gesturing again. 
Sir, surely that was not Mr. Shakespeare. Sander, Sander gave a laugh at, at that and held no voice, Jane. Only amusement. Hardly. That's Will's lie. He was a apprentice like us a few years ago. Now he's a hired man. You won't see much of Mr. Shakespeare. He's a private man and a very busy one. But no, but no, you have seen him. I have? He was... He was the ghost in Helmet. He pulled back the curtain and let me perceive him into the stage. Breathed on the play, players and proprietors, it bore no resemblance to the, a castle in Denmark. It was mere platform on boards of boards covered with damp and dirty rushes. On the ground, two boys about nine or ten years of age were gathering discarded beer bottles and mashed fruit. Samuel and James, Sander told me, are hopefuls. Hopeful of what? Of staying on his princess. He rolled up his sleeves. Well, let's have at it. He, we spent the next hour sweeping the heavy mats of soiled and soggy rushes in, onto the ground, spreading a fresh supply from a, wag, from a wagon over the boards, then lodging the old ones on the wagon. By the time we were finished, I was a limp. I was as limp and wet as the rushes. I sank down on the edge of the stage. No one told me a player's life would be like this. Sander gave another good-humored laugh. How could you be so cheerful in the face of such drudgery? We don't do this every day. Some days we clean out the jigs. Jakes and pile on the dung heap. I shook my head wearily and silently prayed that I might find the missing table book very soon. When does a wife? When does a wife get to be a hired man? When your voice changes. If you're a good princess. Meantime, Sander picked up his broom. Come, time for lessons. I already can how to read and write. I pointed out as we climbed the narrow stairs and I had scrambled down the day before. Even as I spoke, my eyes were casting about for some sign of my table book. That will be useful, Sander said, but these are lessons of a different sort. Behind us, as we came up the stairs, was a large room in which a group of players were researching some scene. We proceeded past the drapes on which I had snacked myself. I saw no table book there either.
I would have to return later and search more carefully. We stopped outside the door to another room. From within the room came the sound of blows and an occasional cry. I felt wrenching in my stomach. Whatever lessons lay ahead, they were obviously being driven home with the aid of a willow switch. First hard labor, now beatings. I would should have known the theater would prove to be as heartless as a harsh than any other institution so that was chapter 11 bye guys see you later see you later see ya see ya later bye guys bye guys